Hello, and welcome to the Clinical Care Options Oncology Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Quill. Today's episode features a discussion led by Dr. Jeffrey Weber from the NYU Langone Health Center in New York on new data that are improving outcomes for patients with melanoma across the disease spectrum. He is joined by Dr. Allison Betoff-Warner from the Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York and Dr. Hussein Talby from the University of Texas MD Anderson Cancer Center. This episode is part of a larger educational program titled Cancer Conversations, How New Data Are Changing Current Therapeutic Algorithms in Melanoma. If you haven't already, please take a moment to explore the other offerings of this program. For more information on our expert panelists, along with the link to the complete program, including downloadable slide sets, please visit the show notes for this episode. Now let's get started and hear what our panel has to say about new and emerging treatment options for patients with melanoma. So how do we think about a patient sitting in front of us looking at uh, adjuvant therapy choices? So if we start on the left here, we have a patient with a BRAF wild type disease. We have some more limited options. So your options are nivolumab or pembrolizumab, so PD-1 single agent. You can use that at the Q2 or Q4 week dosing for Nebo or the Q3 or Q6 week dosing for Pembro. You can use single agent ipilimumab. Remember that this should be ipilimumab at 10 milligrams per kilogram as the approved dose for adjuvant therapy. Or observation is a very reasonable approach for many of these patients. If in contrast, you have a patient with BRAF mutated melanoma, and this is limited to BRAF V600E or V600K mutations, which are most responsive, you have your same options of Nevo or Pembro versus observation. But then we have the third option of targeted therapy. The approved targeted therapy option for adjuvant therapy is dibrafenib trametinib. So while there are other combinations out there that we often think about for metastatic disease, our go-to for adjuvant therapy or our standard for adjuvant therapy is DABTRAM. So who should we even be thinking about this in? So patients who have resected stage 3A to 4 melanoma are candidates for adjuvant therapy. The risk of therapy-related adverse events versus the risk of recurrent disease. So where we really see this come into play is really for our stage 3A patients where the risk of recurrence is lower than for say a stage 3C patient, but we know that their risk of toxicity is exactly the same as a patient with higher risk of recurrence. And so really that becomes a cost-benefit analysis with your patient Um, and require some thoughtful discussion about whether observation may be the best choice for that patient. So Opacin-Neo is a trial of different doses of neoadjuvant IPI plus nivolumab. And this is really important. We're seeing the emergence and ever-increasing use and discussion of neoadjuvant therapy. So a few cycles of therapy prior to surgery, followed potentially by a year total of therapy to complete an adjuvant course. So the current regimen that many of us use and that is sort of widely accepted in the neoadjuvant setting is uh, the IPI one milligram per kilogram plus nivolumab three milligrams per kilogram. 
Now, one of the advantages to neoadjuvant therapy is that we get to take out the tumor and look at the pathology and see actually what's happening. Is the tumor responding to treatment? And so we can look at pathologic response in the tumor after those two preoperative cycles. And really, you see quite a difference in long-term recurrence-free survival based on whether or not we see pathologic response at the time of resection. And those patients, as you can see, out to 24, even 36, nearly 36 months here, do much better than patients who have less than a 50% pathologic response rate at the time of resection. Some new studies and new developments in our field. So we've seen uh, the use of relatlimab, which is a LAG3 agent. Um, this is a new agent. It is not yet FDA approved, but we did see data presented at ASCO this year for neoadjuvant relatlimab plus nivolumab for stage three melanoma. Um, you can see the study design here. So uh, this looked at patients with 3B or 3C melanoma or oligometastatic disease with stage four disease with an ECOG of zero to one, 30 patients. They got two doses uh, neoadjuvantly of relatlimab plus nivolumab, CT scan to assess response, uh, surgical resection and assessment of the pathologic response rate, followed by adjuvant uh, relatlimab plus nivolumab for 10 doses to equal a total of one year of treatment, and they were followed for two years. So among those 19 patients who had a PATH-CR or a near-PATH-CR, the radiographic response rate was a partial response in 15 patients, uh, stable disease in three patients, and one patient actually had progressive disease radiographically, but when that tumor was resected, it was found to be uh, a complete response. In patients who did not respond, um, so eight patients here, only one of them had radiographic progression and seven of them had stable disease. Notably, no patients achieved a complete response by resist prior to their resection. But again, many of these patients did have pathologic complete responses or near pathologic complete response. So the key question I would have uh, as a practicing oncologist is, who should I treat with all these nice adjuvant therapies and who shouldn't I? So how do you choose, say you alluded to treating three A's, not treating three A's. How do you decide when you have a three A patient in front of you or a three B patient, who are you going to treat? Yeah, great question. Really difficult question um, in some ways. So, you know, the three C, three D patients, the stage four resected there, it's an easy conversation. Their risk of recurrence is really so high um, and far, you know, outweighs the risk of toxicity with immunotherapy. Those 3A patients, right? On the other hand, if we think about, you know, somewhere around a 30%, you know, recurrence risk, our toxicity risk is somewhere right in that same range with immunotherapy. So I think it's really important that we explain that to patients and that we explain also that we don't know whether treating in the adjuvant setting is really superior to treating at the time of recurrence. And so for many of our stage 3A patients in particular, I actually do recommend observation and we uh, often do not pursue adjuvant therapy. That being said, there are some patients who feel very strongly they do want to go forward with it, absolutely indicated. And as long as patients understand the risk, it's certainly a very reasonable approach for 3A and 3B patients. 
one note that I would make is for patients who have a BRAF mutation, you know, I often, particularly in these 3A, 3B patients, would suggest pursuing a targeted therapy approach simply because the risk of long-lasting or severe permanent toxicity with BRAF plus MEK therapy is much lower. And so you get the benefit of pursuing adjuvant therapy. And while there may be some day-to-day toxicity, the risk of long-term and lasting toxicity is much lower. Okay. And how do you look at giving neoadjuvant therapy? Who are you going to choose for that? And admittedly, it's off-label. It's not necessarily FDA-approved. There's never been a randomized trial. But who do you choose for neoadjuvant therapy who have stage three disease? So, you know, I think it's important to note that neoadjuvant therapy is still experimental, right? This is not standard of care yet. And really, I advocate for neoadjuvant therapy on a clinical trial because we need to get the data about whether or not we're benefiting these patients. That being said, you know, patients who have larger volume disease that is still resectable, but for whom a resection may be quite morbid, you know, large axillary masses where you expect that they may have significant lymphedema, difficult areas to resect that may be much easier to resect if the lesion is smaller. Um, I think those are excellent candidates for neoadjuvant therapy. But again, you know, I think important to note that these patients really need to be studied and this really should be done in the context of a clinical trial. Hussein, it comes down to how do you decide who you're going to give targeted adjuvant therapy versus immunoadjuvant therapy to? What are your thoughts? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And again, great presentation, Allison. I think you've given the data pretty well. And I, and, and, and I think to note that when you look at the hazard ratios for targeted therapy, it was 0.51 compared to placebo and Keynote had the same, almost the same population. It was 0.54, which is uh, compared to placebo. So the benefit of the two uh, approaches is actually the same. I, I, I'm clear about that to my patients. The difference is really the mode of administration and the toxicity. And I think, um, you know, the the idea that you can take pills every day for a year as opposed to an IV infusion, some patients consider that great because it's not IV treatment. Some patients consider it the worst because they have to feel the toxicities every day. And so I end up having that long conversation with my patients. I specifically focus on the fact that as, as a toxic targeted therapy could be with the rate of uh, toxicity being up to 26%, which is about 10% more than uh, immunotherapy, the minute they stop their treatment, the toxicity goes away within a day or two. Uh, with immunotherapy, the challenge is if you, they develop toxicities, about, I would say, 3% of those toxicities, the endocrine ones, the neuro, neurological toxicities, could be long-lasting and lifelong. And so... Uh, but I always focus on the fact that the benefit is almost the same. So every patient that is BRAF mutated in my clinic with uh, stage three disease is a 45-minute guaranteed discussion before we make a decision together. So to, to say there's a lot of action in metastatic disease and melanoma is, a, is appropriate, and I will go through it slowly at best, and then we'll go into more details about each of the studies. So I like that the first idea is sometimes you do meet patients that do require palliative care up front. I am actually pleased to say that this is a smaller and a proportion now that we have effective therapies in hand. I will also highlight that we still have a lot of work to do in melanoma. We still have a lot, as you will hear from me, 
understanding the sequence of events, uh, bringing in a newer therapies that are uh, less toxic, and obviously considering combination therapies for patients that need intensification of care. So this is why clinical trials remain one of our first choices. But obviously, in terms of the two major areas, we have immunotherapy and we have targeted therapy, and we always fall back on chemotherapy at the end. So in terms of immunotherapy, we have two FDA-approved PD-1 agents, nivolumab and pembrolizumab. We have the combination of ipilimumab and nivolumab that's FDA-approved in the first line. We have TVEC as a single agent that's approved, and we have recently heard a study that the combination with uh, PD-1 in the first line uh, may not be that beneficial. So that was a negative trial. And then ipilimumab remains uh, an FDA-approved agent for the first line as well. With targeted therapy, uh, for many years now, it's been uh, a combination BRAF inhibitor and, and um, a MEK inhibitor. We have dabrafenib, trametinib, and vemencobi that was first approved. And more recently, we got encorafenib and binimetanib that have been uh, FDA-approved. A slightly more tolerable combination, but the efficacy seems to be about the same. But last year, we heard for the first time triplet data that showed that vemorafenib, cobimetanib, and atezolizumab may actually be an effective combination, and we will go through this data together today. Uh, for patients that have KIT mutations or NRAS mutations, you may consider targeting those. I would highlight the fact that both of these agents, imatinib for KIT mutations and binimetanib for NRAS, there are some data to them, but they're not FDA approved for that indication. For most of those patients, I'll probably try immunotherapy first. And then we fall back on the old agents of temozolomide and, carb and carboplatin paclitaxel. We also sometimes use um, paclitaxel. And now that we have six and a half years of follow-up for combination of ipilimumab and nivolumab compared to nivolumab alone, compared to ipilimumab alone. And this was a study that was placebo-controlled, but it was close to 1,000 patients, uh, approximately 336 on each arm. So we know that ipi and nevo uh, won pretty handily against uh, ipilimumab. If you compare, we know that the hazard ratio is 0.52 for survival, which is really impressive. We also know that nivolumab is again against um, uh, IPI is also much more effective and the hazard ratio is 0.63. So there's no question that we should use PD-1 in the first line. The question is, do you use combo or do you use single agent? And you see here that the benefit in terms of overall survival, now we have a median OS after waiting for all this long and it's 72 months with the combination. It's slightly lower in terms of median with the uh, nivolumab alone, 36.9 months. But the reality is the curves are pretty close. So the difference is about 7% um, at, at about you know, six and a half years. So it's always an interesting discussion there. The other population that we really care about a lot in melanoma and, and, and comes up a lot simply because we have at the time of metastatic disease, uh, you should do a brain MRI as part of staging for your patients. And about 40% of the time you're gonna find a brain map. That's how common it is in melanoma. And this is the Australian study, which had about 35 patients on IPI and EVO, and showed that you get a 50% response rate in the brain with the combination of IPI and EVO. The interesting part of the study is single agent PD-1 didn't have as good of a response. The response rate was closer to 20%. And um, they, there was a small cohort that was with patients that were symptomatic, had LMD, were on steroids, and obviously those patients with single agents really don't do very well. So we've learned from that that the combination of IPI and EVO 
is effective in the brain. And we did this trial in the United States with a checkmate before we had over 100 patients treated with that combination. And we, again, uh, saw a response rate to about 57%, almost 30% of those responses were complete responses. And they're all really durable. In fact, we're going to see at ASMO an update on this data that shows how durable these responses are. More than 87% of them continue to be uh, responding in the brain. So it's a very effective regimen in the brain uh, as a combination. The next question in the field is really the triplet studies. Technically, the targeted therapies are approved as first-line options, and there's really no data in second line. So I always talked about how triplet therapy, there's a lot of science why the idea makes a lot of sense to do PD-1 plus BRF inhibitors, but the phase three trials actually came out and they're kind of conflicting. So this is the phase three trial called Inspire 150. There's about 500 patients that were randomized to Atizo given um, uh, Vencobi given for four weeks, then you add Atizo and then you continue Atizo every two weeks. And then the placebo arm had Vencobi alone continuing throughout the course of the patient's history. And the primary endpoint was PFS. And then the curve separates, and the median PFS was 15 months for the triplet and only 10 months for the doublet. And you see the response rates were the same, but the duration of response was definitely better in the triplet arm. So there was a question here about how effective this combination is. The hazard ratio is 0.78. It was significant. And so that's what led to the FDA approval. With the triplets, you worry about the toxicity. So obviously, you see here there was some toxicity, about 79% grade 3, 4 toxicities. And even with that, we were debating for a few months what would we do with triplet therapies. And then we got COMBI, which is the brafenetramatinib or without spartalizumab. And that was kind of thrown the field into a bit more confusion. The PFS for the triplet was 16 months, which was actually comparable, if not slightly better than the uh, Atiz of MCOBI, but the, but the doublet arm did very well. It was 12 months PFS, and the hazard ratio was not significant. It was only 0.82, and the, and the p-value was not bioprotocol significant, so that was considered a negative trial. And therefore, whether we should do triplets in the first line, whether we should sequence a targeted therapy versus combined targeted therapy with immunotherapy remains an open question. So a couple of trials that I'll just run through very briefly that are ongoing trying to answer that question is one of them is called Starboard, which is looking at the PD-1 incobini versus actually PD-1 versus immunotherapy. All the other studies had compared to targeted therapy. This one asks the question, do you do immunotherapy first or triplet first, which I think is reasonable. But then their most interesting arm in this study called Secombit is what, what, whether we treat with targeted therapy first for a defined period of time, and then exactly at eight weeks, we switch to, target, to immunotherapy. And then at that time, as the patients progress, we can bring them back. And that's actually, I think, an impactful study. We really are looking forward to hearing the results. They will have a second presentation coming up at ESMO. Their first presentation at ASCO showed you know, a minimal improvement with a sandwich arm, like a couple of months difference. So it's hard to tell yet. And I think, unfortunately, it may be an underpowered study, but it'll be a great uh, kind of information for us. The study that was designed and continues to be one of the most, I think, clinically impactful ones was designed by Mike Atkins and continued to run through the cooperative groups called DreamSeek. It's actually just a simple, you, if you started with Epinevo first and you, do you switch at progression to BRF-MEC or do you start with BRF-MEC first and switch up at progression to Epinevo? 
And obviously the study, I think, will help us decide how to do that, but we have to wait for those uh, results. And actually, I don't think it's fully accrued yet or just about. So with that, I'm going to stop and turn it back to Jeff. Great. So Hussein, the, you know, there are a number of very important questions here that you broached. The question is, start with frontline. How do you decide who to treat who's in a patient who's BRAF mutated? How do you decide to treat uh, with BRAF MEK versus uh, immunotherapy? What's, what's your consideration there? Yeah, I mean, you know, the, uh, the old kind of uh, concept that, that uh, you know, targeted therapy has less of a durable response. We know that about 20% will end up having a long-term durable response with targeted therapy, but we know that most of them will have to continue on treatment for that period of time. So we generally prefer tar immunotherapy, and then there's a... Uh, some data to indicate that even combinations that use IPI may actually be even more effective in BRF mutated patients. So generally, I fall back on immunotherapy. That's the first question, immuno versus, versus targeted. The second one is, do you do combo or single agent? And that's when I start looking specifically at patient characteristics. So you've heard that in patients with brain mets, IPI-NEVO is much more effective than single agent. So that kind of immediately pushes me in that direction. If brain mats are not there, then I look at the tumor burden at LDH, um, at specific histology, because some things like mucosal melanomas or acral melanomas don't do as well with single agent. And, and a lot of the times, again, I go with a combination in patients that I have a high concern. If I get a patient with a long lesion, one or two long lesions, normal LDH, nothing else going on, those I tend to go with a single agent. And I think you're going to show us very soon that single agent may be put to bed very soon with other combinations that are actually more effective and, and not as toxic as it been you. Okay. How do you manage patients at MD Anderson who are getting combo versus single agent? I mean, what do you tell them? I mean, how do you, how do your nurse practitioners or your staff handle the patients in expectation of toxicity? Yeah, so toxicity is absolutely, um, you know, kind of to a degree, unfortunately, predictable with the combination. <laughs> with the single agents, it's a little less predictable. You wait, and sometimes it never happens. So I tell them it's, you know, 15% that get that toxicity. We do see them pretty frequently. They have access to us all the time. But when we give the combination, the first three months, the first two to three doses are incredibly important. It's a lot of education to the patient that don't chug anything you have to the bad food that you ate. If you had diarrhea, don't say, oh, because I ate Chinese yesterday. You know, the idea is, is diarrhea could very well be epinevo. So we educate them about that and we uh, are constantly in, in communication with them. So education for the patient is hugely important. Yeah. Your team needs to expect the toxicity. It will happen. I mean, 55% is the grade three, four. That doesn't account for the grade ones and twos, the rashes and the things that need to be or low grade fevers. So almost 100% will have some form of toxicity in the first three months. So we're very intense in doing that. So after hearing Hussein's presentation on the triplets, do you think there's a role for triplets? I mean, do you feel that the one approved triplet regimen is one that you use? How do you see this? Yeah, I think we were all very excited about the potential for triplet, you know, the sort of idea that you could capitalize on the excellent response rates of targeted therapy and perhaps make them more durable with immunotherapy. In practice, I have not, found a lot of opportunity to use a triplet combination yet. You know, I think there are some limitations, toxicity being one of them. The approved triplet combination 
with bemurafenib and cobimetinib, it tends to be a bit of a harder BRAF-MEC combination to tolerate than some of the other BRAF-MEC combinations. And so that that is one issue right off the bat is that wouldn't necessarily be my first choice of BRAF plus MEC. But additionally, I think one of the key things that we really have to understand about triplet therapy is, you know, we don't necessarily care or it, it's not as important whether PFS versus immunotherapy alone or PFS of triplet versus targeted therapy alone is superior. What we really need to know is, is the PFS of triplet therapy better than targeted therapy plus immunotherapy, right? Or vice versa, right? But the combination, because if you're going to put all your cards on the table, you know, in, in one go, then, you know, if and when that patient progresses, you really have very limited options of what to do for their therapy. And so I think that to me, that's critical information before we really start moving forward with uh, triplet combinations. If someone is BRAF mutated and they've failed BRAF mech and immunotherapy, is it trial time? Is it trial time? I think it's yeah. trial time always. You know, I really think in the first line, we have questions about, again, improving the responses and duration of responses in the first line and decreasing toxicity from Ibinivo. In the second line, again, actually, I have um, I still have hope for the triplets in the second line because they are able to salvage some of our patients. So I really make it a point to my patients that clinical trial is not the, oh, you've, you're done with everything and let's throw a clinical trial at you. Sometimes it is the option that's probably better than the standard of care. So yeah, trials always. <laughs> and I'm just going to spend a few minutes on novel therapies. So again... Uh, one of the most interesting studies that was presented at ASCO that made a, a bit of an impact was Relativity 47, which was the first LAG3 randomized phase three trial to come to fruition. It was a very straightforward trial, well done, randomized, double-blind phase three study. That was interesting in that it was, a two, it was almost like a two-stage trial. It was a phase two, three. There was a pause after the first phase two portion to determine how promising it looked. So again, relatlimab, which is the LAG3 antibody, was given with nivolumab. Interestingly, it was a fixed-dose combination. So a lot of the doublets and triplets in the future are going to be sold as fixed-dose. And the comparator, of course, was standard of care nivolumab. Primary endpoint was progression-free survival. And there's a pretty significant break at the first evaluation at three months. And then those curves stay apart. And I think there's something like 16 months of follow-up. Uh, there's a clear difference between the combo arm and the single agent arm, but there's a solid 11-point difference in PFS, which was the primary endpoint. And again, 10 months versus 4.6 months, that's a big difference with a nice hazard ratio of 0.75, and that p-value looks healthy too. The other interesting data presented at ASCO, again, were well-known because we've already seen some prelim data, and those were the data on the fulusal or tumor-infiltrating lymphocytes given with high-dose IL-2, preceded by lymphodepletion with cytoxin and fludarabine. And there were three cohorts or four cohorts in this trial, and the second cohort was presented at ASCO by James Larkin. And the bottom line is the uh, endpoint of this trial in those who had failed all other therapy. So if you were BRAF mutated, you had to fail BRAF-MEC plus immunotherapy. If you were BRAF wild type, you had to have failed PD-1 blockade alone. And almost all those who failed PD-1 blockade 
also failed PD-1 CTLA-4, most of whom got Ipinevo. So this was a bad outcome group. There's no established therapy. Chemotherapy doesn't work. And again, they all go on clinical trials if they get anything reasonable. And you had a 36% investigator called response rate. Here's the waterfall plot. Looks pretty darn good. The inflection points right about the middle. And again, there were progressive decreases in tumor burden over time, which is classic for immunotherapy. And again, there were plenty of BRAF mutated patients thrown in there. Hussein, after hearing about uh, the TIL and about LAG3-NEVO, let's say they go through and they get registered. How will that impact on how you practice? Yeah, so so TIL therapy is something we've done at MD Anderson for a very long time. And, and, and you know, it's kind of nice in that it's a one and done to a degree. And, and yes, there's chemotherapy involved in the preconditioning, but you know, we, you know, for, for the practicing oncologist, I think, you know, it's still kind of lower dose chemotherapy than something they use for, you know, their breast cancer patients. And so uh, those pieces are really good. Uh, the idea that you take the patient's tumor and you de develop the TILs actually also kind of implies a bit of logistics. So the surgery and when does the biopsy get to where it needs to get. But I think they've really done a, a great job so far at actually trying to shorten the turnaround time. So if you look at all of that, the fact that it's one and done, it's a few weeks of therapy, and then you get that massive of a response in patients that are you know, refractory to PD-1, refractory to CD4, I am sure I'm going to use it for a, a bunch of my patients. You started a question to me uh, a couple of minutes ago saying, if those things don't work, clinical trial is the answer. I think that would be actually, TIL will be the answer when those first-line therapies don't work. Um, and I think it would be a really, really good thing for our patients moving um, forward. And will NevoLag3 replace uh, Pembro alone or Nevo alone? Will people no longer use single-agent PD-1 in the future? I, I would really um, doubt that there will be a role for the single-agent because, again, the combo of nevorolatlimab that you shared, the, the rate of toxicity was only 18%, the grade 3-4 toxicity. So... You know, the, the benefit you get from using single agent to decrease toxicity, I don't think is going to be substantial compared to, to the efficacy benefit. So I do think it's going to be our first line therapy for melanoma. Okay. The question of whether it replaces combo, Ipinevo, remains a big question uh, that we will have to figure out. That's going to be a big one. I'm not so sure that's going to happen, but we'll see. Uh, a question is, would you use Dabtrim after single-agent PDL one I assume PD-1 or PDL one And Hussein, what do you say? Um, in the metastatic setting, uh, yeah, I mean, it depends on, on, the, on the type of progression. As we discussed, there is no data in the second line whether, say, Ipinevo is a better uh, combination than BRF-MAX. So it is, it is common for me to try Ipinevo in patients that don't have, you know, symptomatic progression or massive... Uh, you know, tumor burden, but uh, it's very appropriate to go to PD-1, um, uh, to, to BRF MAC inhibitors. The patients that I do that for, I always try to remember that if they progress on that, IPI is always an, an, an option as a single agent, even if not as a combination. So remember, we cure about 23% of our patients with IPI, and that's a really sizable population. Okay. So if, if PD-1 and BRF MAC don't work, think about CLA-4. Okay, another user is relapse-free survival, the best endpoint. Do you remember the interferon Kirkwood trials with RFS and OS at 12 years? Allison, what do you think? This is a great debate. Um, I don't know that uh, I'm going to have time to do it justice, but um, I, you know, I think 
this really depends on who you ask um, in terms of uh, the importance of RFS versus overall survival. You know, I think we all would love to see an overall survival signal as an endpoint and power our studies on, on that. But realistically, you know, do we really want to wait 10 years to 15 years to 20 years for some of these, you know, overall readouts? to uh, make new therapies available to our patients. I think that's, you know, one of the challenges here. I think the other challenge is, is that relapse is still a meaningful, a clinically meaningful endpoint for our patients. You know, it, it can really drastically change quality of life and other things. And so, you know, I think as long as patients understand the difference between the data that we have in terms of relapse-free survival and what that may or may not mean in terms of overall survival, I still think it's a meaningful endpoint. Whether it's the only meaningful endpoint, you know, I, I think is uh, debatable. Okay, and then I'll quickly take this. Is there, isn't there potential for targeted therapies in NRAS mutant? And the answer is yes. There are a couple of very promising uh, ERK inhibitors that may well have activity in the NRAS mutant population, and I think that uh, you're going to be hearing some good news about those drugs soon, so I like the idea. Uh, one of the tougher conversations we have is when to stop BRAF-MEC in the adjuvant setting in someone with a CR who may be having little to no side effects. What are your thoughts? Hussein, what do you do if someone's been on BRAF-MEC for two years and they have a CR and they have metastatic disease? And there is some data that those patients do have a sizable risk of progression after that. So, um, you know, it, it's, a, it's unfortunately a trial and error. And we have a risk complete response with immunotherapy. You could be very comfortable stopping with targeted therapy up to way. I, I would take into account the original burden of the disease, the original LDH. And if it's a small burden of disease, if the sites of metastases are two to three and they've had a really great response, I give it a shot after to three years. Okay, I'll take, if neoadjuvant therapy was with Pembro, and if you see significant regression uh, pathologically, I would give, they, the question is, what's the best therapy after surgery? I would give adjuvant pembrolizumab, no question. If you saw no response, then if they were BRAF mutated, I would switch to Daptrem. Uh, and then the other question is, what do you think about Pembro, Lenva, and immunotherapy failure? Allison, what do you think? Yeah, um, I think we need more data there, but we're certainly seeing, you know, Pembro, Lenva having success in a variety of different malignancies. We've seen some early data. One of the issues there certainly is toxicity. That is a particularly difficult combination to tolerate. But, you know, as we've said, these patients have very limited treatment options. And so, um, you know, with some more data, I, I think that certainly can be a promising combination. Okay. And there's a quickie here. Have you ever seen any melanoma with an intract fusion? It is very rare. I think it's maybe 1% at the very most. And since we're doing next generation sequencing, these eventually will come up and drugs for the NTRAC fusions potentially could be used. I will say one thing about that, because I think we've seen a lot of patients that are getting very limited, um, you know, mutational testing. Um, I see a lot of referrals that are only tested for BRAF and RAF kit. Um, and I think that there are potentially other targetable mutations that we do find it is very rare, but would really encourage patients to be getting, you know, a full NGS panel. Absolutely. And Hussein, what's your opinion about adding IPI after nevo pembro monotherapy failure in first line? Yeah, absolutely. As I just mentioned, I mean, there is some data for the low-dose combination. Uh, there's a study that's uh, hopefully we'll read out soon from SWOG where Ari Vanderweel actually did a... Uh, Ipinevo versus Ipi in that population, hopefully we'll know the answer. So um, I think it's a reasonable thing to do. 
Okay, and uh, how effective is combined immunotherapy for mucosal, Allison? Unfortunately, not nearly as effective as we would hope it to be. Uh, we certainly do see responses, but you know, not nearly as effective as it is for cutaneous and unknown primary. And we're we're still actively seeking better combinations for for, uh, for mucosal melanoma. Okay, and then next line of therapy for a BRAF wild type after failure on both immunotherapies. Yeah, and TIL would be great. And then again, if you have uh, uh, lesions that can be injected intratumoral, TVEC is a very reasonable thing to do as well. Thank you very much, Dr. Weber, Dr. Warner, and Dr. Talby. And thanks to you, the listeners, for joining us. As a reminder, to view the full program, Cancer Conversations, How New Data Are Changing Current Therapeutic Algorithms in Melanoma, and to find our other podcast episodes, please click on the link in the show notes. As always... Thanks for listening.